As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and Red Bull will continue to use Honda engines in 2022 despite the Japanese manufacturer's withdrawal, thanks to F1 green lighting and engine freeze. But F1's sprint race plan is still up in the air. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to discuss the fallout from F1's latest decisions are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott, we'll we'll get straight into it, as we like to do on these uh, newsy podcasts. So let's start with the engine freeze itself. So... We know it's been voted through unanimously and it'll start in 2022, but why has it happened and what do we know about the detail? Yeah, so basically um, under the the previous rules, uh, engine development was already going to be halted for, for three years starting in, in 2023. And the idea being that F1 needed to get spending under control because these hybrids have turned out to be a lot more expensive than anybody uh, really sort of considered. Um but that meant that with Red Bull uh, losing Honda and having this idea of taking over the engine pro- project for 2022, uh, it meant that Red Bull's rivals would have been able to develop their engines for 2022, but then also develop those engines again over the winter ahead of 2023, while Red Bull would have been left using the engine it inherited from Honda for next year. So it would have been out of sync and it would have risked going into this three-year period um, at a disadvantage. Uh, so Red Bull's been pushing for the freeze to be brought forward. Uh, at that vote has finally now happened, a meeting of the F1 Commission uh, on uh, today, on Thursday, uh, and that vote uh, received unanimous support, bringing the engine freeze forward to the start of the 2022 season. So what that means is that all the manufacturers will now have the opportunity to update their engines at the end of, uh, after the 2021 season finishes, Uh, That will help make sure that they're compatible with plans for new increased percentage sustainable fuels in 2022. Uh, But it means that Red Bull won't have to watch its rivals get that extra round of development after 2022 itself. So 
yeah, that that's um, it's it's obviously very significant for for Red Bull. It's very significant for the for the championship as well. Um, one of the obstacles to the freeze was this idea that to protect any manufacturer that goes into twenty twenty two with a big performance deficit, like Ferrari, for example, if they quite haven't quite caught up. Um, or even maybe Red Bull itself with its inherited Honda uh, engine, uh, to stop them from having this huge disadvantage into 2020, it was suggested that basically a balance of performance type system should work maybe by hiking up the, the fuel flow rate and give basically artificially boosting the power output of, of these engines to make sure that the engines are level for this three-year period. It would have only been for manufacturers that were significantly uh, behind, but the understanding is that that's not been considered at all so the the vote that was tabled was without a form of convergence or performance balancing or whatever you want to you want to call it so i think it's um i think it's a pretty uh reasonable compromise um and i think it's probably about as good as rebel could have hoped for what do you make of this mark personally i'm pleased there's no performance balancing mechanism because they never really work they're always open to to being gamed so this does seem to be a good way for Formula One as a whole to, to proceed, doesn't it? It's a good contra- compromise under the circumstances, yes. Um, it, I think if we'd started in reducing balance of performance, it would have um, lost any credibility, and uh, Mercedes and Renault were very much opposed to that, and uh, I think rightly so as well, um, because then you just, you know, effectively what um, Ferrari was suspected of having done in 2019 was finding a way of subverting the fuel flow regulations, which in this um, t- formula is is the equivalent of the old um, engine size. It defines the performance limit of the engine, so it's absolutely fundamental. So you were talking about it, it, doing exactly that to try and uh, legally, in this case, um, make all the engines the same. So it's not it's no longer a competition if you're doing that. It's just a circus. So um, we've avoided that. Um, we've we've said you know you've got you've got a chance to. Uh, make your changes in for, for this year, uh, which have already been done, um, and then an, another batch for for next year, and and that's it, and that re- then runs to the end of this formula, which is expected to be twenty um, twenty five, isn't it? So then, uh, yeah, I think it's it's enabled Red Bull to hopefully retain a competitive engine, in, in, in uh, although a lot. Depends on how effective Honda's upgrade for this season has been, um, but at least it means that they are, we're not into the situation where they're having to uh, go uh, back to Renault, which is a neither party wanted to have that. So they're able to retain this this engine, which very different architecture to the Renault, and this car has been optimized around that. So it gives them a fair chance of. Um, you know, starting the season with a, a very competitive car if they've done the sums right. And um, I think we should all be thankful for that because the last thing we, we wanted was really for Mercedes's potential chief rivals to be nobbled. So at least we've um, uh, avoided that. So it's a, I, yeah, I think it's a good compromise. Yeah, often you need these compromise solutions. I think a lot of people will rail against the idea of an engine freeze in Formula One, but we have had it before. We had it for the final chunk of the, the V8 era, and it actually worked reasonably well. There were occasional little performance balancing, particularly related to Renault, but it actually functioned pretty well and got costs under control. And 
yeah, it can be made to work. Obviously, there's potential for controversy, and I'm sure there'll be all sorts of uh, politicking going on behind the scenes for people who feel they they want to try and persuade they should have a break. I quite like the idea of of what F1 did last time, which is there wasn't a formalised mechanism, but they did make adjustments if absolutely necessary. And I I suspect that might be the intention. If someone falls way out of whack, they will find a way to to help them, but it won't create a system that can be that can be gained. And that obviously was something nobody wants to, to see happen because, of course, all the engine manufacturers will be convinced that all the others will uh, massively gain the system while working out ways to do it uh, themselves. So, Scott, we expected this to be the the outcome. It's been quite a long-running thing because Red Bull were, were pushing to get this over the line some time ago. But I guess really no surprise that we've that we've got to this point, is it? No, it's not a I, it's not a surprise, but it it was starting to it was starting to to roll on a little bit too much, um, and I think that was slightly confusing to Red Bull and Honda because my understanding is that they basically had their uh, their deal, the takeover deal was done or basically finalized. Uh, is is now just waiting to be finalized? It was done in terms uh, back in December broadly. Um, so they've just been waiting to make sure that this freeze actually happens. Otherwise, the the agreement is is futile, and it just wasn't coming. And but I think a big part of that was that F one and the FAA wanted there to be unanimity on this issue. They didn't have to be. The new government governance system means that I don't think Mercedes and Renault could have blocked it, even with the support of the Mercedes customer teams, because the engine manufacturers all get a vote. Uh, and the numbers for the necessary majority therefore change with this kind of issue. Um, but F1 and the FAA, I don't think they, I don't think they wanted to, you know, prop like force this one through. I think they felt that they needed to have some kind of amicable agreement. So I think that's why it ended up taking so long. Um, and I think it now puts sort of F1 into a, into a good position. I mean, the the other reason it would have taken so long is that this is basically tied in with the next generation F1 engine, because while everyone saw broadly in agreement that a freeze was the right thing to do, I don't think anyone wanted it for more than three years. So if you brought that engine freeze forward to 2022, that means you would, you'd have had a four year spell of frozen engines before the planned next generation engine in 26. But it's not as simple as just, okay, well, we'll say that we're bringing forward the, the engine to 25. If we've got absolutely no idea how to do that and what to do, Having said that, <laughs> it's not. In- <laughs> I don't think F1's plan for the next generation engine is much more advanced than this. They've um, they're in a situation at the moment where I think they're still trying to um, feel it out. They've got like these five key objectives for the 2025 engine, which are environmental sustainability, social and automotive relevance, fully sustainable fuel, creating a powerful and emotive engine, significant cost reduction, and attractiveness to new engine manufacturers. I wonder how many of those F1's actually going to be successful in hitting. Is it going to be a case of, oh, you know, well, we'll aim for all five. If we can get three or four, then that's pretty good going. Um, so this is, I think this is a part of the reason why it was so complicated. They've set up this working group with the current manufacturers and fuel suppliers and then prospective new new participants as well. So I think they probably wanted to have at least a sort of broader idea of where they were going with the 2025 engine, as as we can call it now, before they they committed to this freeze because they did sort of go hand in hand. Yeah, the the 2025 engine is it? 
as it is now, it's going to be an internal combustion engine, most likely with greater hybridization. So there'll be a, a bigger uh, uh, motor generator, a bit more power from that, aiming to move towards synthetic fuels, ideally totally synthetic fuels, which is a good in- interim step. Although, of course, the big challenge there is this is an engine formula that's going to have to last into the mid-2030s. So that's going to be a, a pretty big uh, big challenge to balance it up. But, you know, people talk about hydrogen fuel cells, et cetera, and all these things, and there's loads of great ideas, but it's just a little bit too early for, for Formula 1 to be going in that direction. There's a lot of stumbling blocks. And the internal combustion engine is is very, very... Uh, it's very well proven. It's it's efficient, so it's quite a good solution, provided you bring in the hybridisation, of course, the synthetic fuels, so you're not just smashing hydrocarbons to pieces uh, all the time and causing all manner of uh, problems with that. Mark, let's have a look at Red Bull's situation. How good an outcome do you think this is for it in terms of its competitiveness for the the end of the rules cycle, especially given they've they've avoided that enforced and mutually unappealing reunion with Renault? No, it's absolutely the best outcome that um, they, they could have hoped for once Honda had announced it was pulling out at the end of this year. Um, this, though they um, sort of leveled the playing field as, as far as is um, possible uh, in terms of regulation. They've been able to keep the same power unit around which the car has been conceived. And so you're, you're not messing about trying to repackage the whole rear end of the car and making different length gearboxes for different architecture of engines. Uh, you, you're able to just continue on the development path that you're already on, which is very important considering that um, the, the the chassis have got to be retained um, from last year into, into this. So, um, yeah, it would have been quite disruptive um, had Red Bull um, been forced to go into the the new the new regulations for 2022 with a, a completely different um, power unit. So, I think for 21, it's um, it's good. It's uh, it, it, the, the Honda of are going to be given everything in this final year, and um, hopefully the momentum of that can then just um, be continued as, as, as the ceilings hopefully put on everybody. And how's it going to work, Scott, in terms of how Red Bull's going to do this? Obviously, they don't have to develop the engine, so it's really just preparation. I say just, but that's a pretty uh, big deal in terms of uh, the way you have to uh, look after these engines, and also with. With this, these push forward synthetic fuels, etc., there could be all sorts. Well, there will be all sorts of need for dyno testing, etc. So, what's your understanding of how Red Bull is going to pull this off? Well, it's a huge undertaking. Um, it shouldn't be underestimated. And you know, as I say, I'm expecting that finalising it will be a formality, given that um, the sort of deal in principle has been agreed for some time. But you know, there could always there there are always the potential for unexpected setbacks, especially when there's going to be a huge financial um, requirement from Red Bull here and a huge technological undertaking as well, even with a third party. Um, but I think we can work on the basis that this is um, going to happen and will probably be announced in the coming days. Uh, the, 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 the discussions between Red Bull and Honda took place last summer. Basically, as soon as Red Bull were informed that Honda was pulling out, the option was tabled for Honda to 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 let them take over the IP. And that swiftly gained support from Honda in Japan, not just the F1 side of things. Um, so broadly, in addition to agreeing that Red Bull is going to take over part of Honda's Milton Keynes facility and, and expand the Red Bull Technologies campus as well, it's expected that the takeover plan is going to include at least some of the Honda personnel remaining involved beyond 2021. Because you can't just 
um, take all of those people who know how to, to operate the engine and work on it and just remove them and plug other people in in their place. And as I mentioned, there will be this third-party involvement uh, 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 as well. So it's going to be a combination of Red Bull boosting the impressive facilities it's already got to try and have an element of engine maintenance uh, there, but they will be reliant on outside assistance as well. Um, so it's it's going to be important uh, for for Red Bull to 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 now crack on with putting all of this infrastructure in place. There's also been a hint that Red Bull is going to use this experience of maintaining the engines and obviously that all that technology that will be sort of put into place to manage that to explore the possibility of building its own engine for future rules. I suspect that won't be the first choice, though. The first choice will presumably be, be trying to, you know, tempt in an Audi or a Volkswagen, you know, someone from the Volkswagen group, basically, uh, a brand from there to take on the... Um, the the challenge of, of the engine because I think I think what Red Bull is arranging to happen works as an interim solution, but it's not a long term solution in terms of going up against Ferrari, Mercedes and Renault in the long term. Yeah, this is about as smooth as it can get in terms of a continuation engine, isn't it? Because it's going to be using, as you say, Honda personnel, the Honda facility in, in Milton Keynes handily on Red Bull's doorstep. So it's not like one of these things we've seen in the past when it's uh it's a much more difficult continuation project. I did a piece for the, the race website uh, a week or two ago, which looked at some of those continuations, Megatron with BMW, Mechachrome, and then Supertech with the, the old works, Renault engines. But these were projects that didn't have the investment for ongoing development, so they inevitably slid back. That's why the engine freeze is so important, because without that, Red Bull wouldn't be able to develop the engine and would just fall back very very quickly so that that's a a positive from from their perspective the idea of uh, red bull doing their own engines is uh, it's one of those things that keeps flaring up but it's it's an obvious choice really isn't it that you'd want to get a manufacturer to you don't want to stick a porsche engine that they've invested a load of money in in the back of it although as uh, as footwork discovered just having a porsche engine isn't necessarily a, a a good thing so it's all going to come down to the these future engine rules the the 2025 next gen for what happens with that what do you think mark are the chances of bringing in a new manufacturer of those 25 rules i know it's a tremendous piece of crystal ball gazing because we don't know exactly what those rules are, are going to be and f1's only really at board level going to these companies uh around now well i understand that as far as the new engine regulation are are looking the, 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 the there is a, a current working group looking at that and it comprises existing manufacturers as well as Volkswagen so I, I, yes my my hope would be that um they are they're going to be involved in 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 some in some form um it, it really needs more than three automotive manufacturers ideally um it would be nice to get four or five um but let's let's just see i i think yes i think it's it's more realistic than uh it's far more realistic getting new manufacturers to come in with a new formula than it would be just leaving this one to run this one no no new manufacturer would come in with this one it's too expensive and the existing uh, manufacturers got too much of a head start in what's a very complex technology so yeah i think um i'd I'd be quite hopeful that we we get some new manufacturers for a a simpler and cheaper new formula from 25 for 26 yeah this is what we're all hoping for ultimately 
the, the working groups they've got have been largely at a technical level. It's quite easy to get car companies on technical level interested. It's getting those board commitments, isn't it, to, to want to pursue it seriously that's the challenge, and let's hope that will happen. Well, it wasn't just engines that were resolved in the F1 commission. There were various other things that were advanced, shall we say, if not necessarily <laughs> finalised. This is Formula One, so although I said resolved, things are not always that simple. So, Mark, this sprint race proposal that emerged earlier this week, it appears to have support, but that can's been kicked down the road pending further analysis of the implications and exactly how it would work. The basic idea is that Canada, Italy and Brazil... We'd have qualifying on Friday, a one-third distance sprint race on Saturday. That will award points and set the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix, which will pay the conventional big points. So what do you make of this proposal and, and where's it at? I've got mixed feelings about it. It's, um, I think it's an interesting idea, but I, I can see, I don't, I, I, I do think it, it will detract from the, the occasion of Sunday's big race. Um, I can see what the thinking is. They're they're trying to just generate a bit more excitement for for Saturday. Um, yeah, it 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 brings all sorts of logistical complications. Yeah, you know, in terms, especially in an era where you're limiting mileage on engines and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I it's got pros and cons. I'm I'm not convinced one way or the other, really. Sounds like the teams are in a similar position to Mark because uh, I think F1 or the FAA described it as having sort of broad support, but they didn't even go so far as to say that the sprint races had broad support. They said that the um, the understanding of the need for sort of more entertainment and you know using a few races this year to try an alternative qualifying format had broad support, which is such a such a long winded way of saying the sprint race proposal that you all know about and we've talked about. They 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 like the idea in principle, but want some more information, and that's basically where the teams are at. I think uh, I think they're not necessarily automatically against it, but I think there is a, I think there, I think there's a lot more sort of in the finer detail that that could un you know un uh, undo it all because one of the things that I I've heard is you know what what does that mean for driver contracts? You know that these drive the drivers are paid to do x races a year or to if you debate based on this if you add an extra three races into the season does that impact something you know the bonuses come into play for a for a saturday race as well as a sunday race that that sort of thing so it's um there's all there's all sorts that need to be resolved so i'm absolutely not surprised in the slightest that this one's been parked as a yeah this hasn't been rejected but they they want to uh they want to hear more about it yeah, it certainly seemed to be an undercooked proposal when it first emerged. I'm not, well, I'm going to say I'm not a big fan. I'm dead against awarding points for the sprint race because I think the Grand Prix itself should be the points-paying event, the centre of attention. But I am pro at least evaluating and considering race weekend format changes, not for the sake of it, but if there's ways to to make things more interesting or even have a bit more variety because there's nothing set in stone to say that every race weekend has to be exactly the same. So open, but but not not committed. So interested to see how this how this goes. But it's not F1's biggest problem at the moment. But certainly the promoters would like it because it would give them a, a focal point on each of the three days. The TV companies would like it because you get a reasonable audience, although probably not as big for Friday qualifying. Then you've got your hit on Saturday and your hit on Sunday. So I think this is going to be a big talking point 
over the next uh, month, six weeks. But Scott, there was also discussion about the proposed driver salary cap, but of course no resolution. Now, driver pay is one of the things that exists outside of the cost cap that's newly introduced for this year. So where are we with this idea? Um, not not particularly advanced, um, to, to be honest. I think it's the... It's an extension, obviously, of um, everything else is being capped and costs are being sort of carefully looked at. So driver salaries need to be um, need need to be part of that. I think the um, the the last sort of the the real detail was um, was having this sort of combined thirty million. I think is it dollars? I think rather than euros, thirty million dollar sort of cap across the driver pairing. And then if you go above that cap then the difference gets taken out of the the operational budget cap that the team has. Um, But this is something that's basically going to be discussed going forward. I think there's going to be a working group created, including the drivers, to discuss the topic of driver and senior team management contracts because what... While we do have this budget cap in place now for 2021, um, is it the top three earners, I think, from the from the team? Amazing agreement that all the team bosses agreed to exempt the top three earners in the in the company <laughs> at the ball level from the I can't I can't imagine why they backed that idea. Yeah, exactly. I bet that's <laughs> but that's the fastest that all the hands have gone up in agreement at uh, an F1 meeting ever. Um so so yeah, we, it, that it's a bit similar to um it's a bit similar to the the Saturday sprint race proposal in that there's sort of like a broad understanding of why you'd want to introduce it and not necessarily they're not necessarily anti it, but I think details need to be thrashed out. Uh, the difference between the two being that the uh, the sprint race is something that they want to get settled before the start of the 2021 season, whereas I think this sort of cost control idea will, will rumble on for, for for months. I think it won't won't be before 2023 um, or something like that that the driver salary cap gets introduced. But um, so hang on. If I've got this right, they um they have voted in favour of exempting themselves from any uh, cap on their own payment, but they want to have a cap on their drivers' payment. Yeah, it's convenient, isn't it? Yeah. How do you reckon that Mm. went down? (laughs) Yeah, I can I can see why the top driver owners um could get offended at that, and I I don't really see why you need it. It it it, it, the the cost cap is intended to equalise the. The performance of the cars and how much benefit you can get from, um, you know, any any extra outside of that cap, um, you, you spend it on the best driver available. Available, but you know, if you're if you're a driver that's worth a, a tenth or a tenth and a half over the, you know, the 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 very good drivers, then I don't see why that that shouldn't be paid the market value. The market value will soon determine. How much that's worth? I don't. I don't see why you need a regulation for that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And also, it's going to break down in the detail because obviously, marketing operations are excluded from the cost cap. Well, your driver isn't just a driver; they're also an ambassador for the various partners, etc. You know, Lewis Hamilton has huge marketing value, so you can see the the contracts being sliced and diced in all sorts of ways. So I can see it really being difficult to go through and. Ultimately, the drivers aren't going to like it. Of course, they're, they're not going to, uh, going to be big fans of that. And they're going to want to offer less for less if, that, if that's what happens. Ultimately, we talk about wanting the drivers to be the stars. So if, if somebody's going to be paid 
ridiculous money, it might as well be them because whatever happens, someone's going to be paid stupid money in Formula One, aren't they? So uh, that, that that's the way it is. Unless it's going to be uh, F1 journalists, uh, which I'd be in favour of, but uh, I don't think that's going to uh, happen. I, th- I, don't, I don't think the market needs to pay us a great uh, a great a great deal. You you need to, you need an inflated salary Ed, so that you can finally buy that racehorse that you've always wanted to purchase. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got to you've got to get diversify, haven't you? Racing in all its forms, no matter how much the overall horsepower is. Now, the last point is the Portuguese Grand Prix, Mark, which is sort of confirmed. So that's got an intended place on the calendar that's been announced. That's the May yeah. fifth slot, which has been TBA for so long. Yeah. But there isn't a final agreement with the promoter, so. It's great news, isn't it? But what exactly is the status of that race? Should we be getting excited? And I was going to say, everyone booking their their trip to go and uh, go and see the Portuguese Grand Prix, but that's not very practical for people in uh, quite a few countries right now. Yes, especially in um, if you're a, a Brit in Portugal, because at the moment um, Portugal is one of the countries that is on um, Britain's uh, red red list, which is uh, whereby if you've been there in the previous ten days, when you come back, you have to spend ten days in um, hotel. Um, Seven hundred, seventeen hundred and fifty pounds, I think it is, um, and take tests and during that time, and so, you, you get guards uh, for that as well, apparently. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And um, if you lie about where you've been, there's a, there's a potential ten year prison sentence. So uh, yeah, it's probably not worth it. Um, one of us so, is gonna, one of us is going to end up doing that this year, aren't we? It's going to be. I know exactly well, who it's going to be. It's going to be me. It's not. None of. It's not going to be. It's certainly not going to be. That's not a hard one to put my money on. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's. Um, I think the will is there for to, to have the race, but um, it's quite complicated because um, last time the organisers were able to make it work by um, having a limited number of spectators um, pay for tickets. So. Uh, this year, that's um, it's looking like they won't be allowed to do that. So uh, it's, it's gonna it's gonna rest on whatever deal Formula One and the, the the promoters can can do, and how much Formula One places a value on on having this extra race. Uh, there might be a certain um, value on doing it in terms of um, you need a Formula One just like last year needed a a minimum number of races to trigger the TV contracts. And at a time of uncertainty, because we don't really know exactly how this year is going to pan out in terms of the virus, it might be a very good idea to get as many races in as we can, as early as we can, just as a precaution, even even if we're confident that the you know the vaccination program and everything is going to make it less critical than last year. But it, it would still probably be a, deemed a, a good thing to get as many early races in as possible. So I think there might be room for a deal there but it i don't think it's a, a certainty at this stage um but it yeah i would it'd be great to see f1 back there it was a, it, it came it did, delivered a fantastic race last time and um it's a you know a lovely lovely place in terms of its place on the calendar it's back to back um preceding the spanish grand prix so in terms of the logistics of people um going you know f1 personnel going there um, it would involve um, coming, if if they're based in Britain at least, it would involve staying some extra days in Spain so that in the previous 10 days you hadn't been in Portugal. That's assuming that it's still on the red zone by that time and that Spain isn't. So there's all sorts of provisos, but yeah, there's ifs and buts, um, it, it, it might happen. I can certainly see F1 being very 
keen to have a race there because we could theoretically, if that race were, was not to happen, given we've already lost Australia from the start of the season, that's been kicked back to towards the end of the year, we could get one week into May and only two races have been banked, which will make F1 a little bit uneasy given that, that point you talked about because we still don't really know exactly how this year is going to work. I think there's some people who think that give it a couple of months, everything's going to be done and vaccinated and everything will be brilliant, but it's it's going to be a much, much messier and longer process than that. So uh, it's a very difficult one. But Scott, how much disruption do you think we should expect for this calendar? I guess it's easier to answer how much we should expect rather than exactly what disruption to expect. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think it would just have to be, I think F1's just going to be flexible for probably the whole year because the difficulty is that um, you've, you've got different challenges for, for different events, like the street races, for example, peppered through the season. And they're, they're the sort of thing that, <clears throat> that require more advanced notice than, than, than others. So, um, and as we see new variants of the virus and, and stuff like this emerge, and although we have countries at different stages with vaccines and this sort of thing, it's just that it's not going to have, it's not going to be back to normal at any point during 2021. So, I think it's just going to be flexibility and it'll be it'll just come down to sort of where the, each individual country is at its time. I can see uh, the, the worst case scenario is that six or seven races don't happen and we end up getting sort of creative again to have sort of between 17 and 20 Grand Prix, maybe use the same venue a couple of times. But I don't think it'll get there. I do think that is the worst case scenario. I, I think um, I think a, I think sort of 20 or 21 races sort of feels the most realistic but f1 seems to have a lot of backup plans maybe maybe 23 will happen after all i don't i don't think we're at the stage now where i'm sort of i'm waiting for one or two grand prix to get called off which is where we were this time a year ago but at the same time it's impossible to judge exactly how safe any of the events really are yeah it's it's going to be one of those things that just runs and runs through the year just as it did last season we'll just have to be prepared to adapt Well, thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. There's loads to read on therace.com about these decisions, so head there for more. And of course, don't forget the hyphen if you're going to do so. And if you'd like another podcast to listen to, the latest episode of Bring Back V10s is all about the notorious failure of the 1997 MasterCard Lola F1 project. And if video is your thing, check out the race's YouTube channel as well. We'll be back next week with launch season getting underway, so our podcast schedule will be a little bit more unpredictable, but we are going to be getting together to give you the inside line on the McLaren launch of Monday, and there'll be regular podcast time tied in with car reveals and of course gary anderson will be getting involved in those as well so we'll be back then with more from the race f1 podcast